Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. I want to welcome you on this Labor Day weekend. I tell you what, you can tell it's a holiday weekend, can't you? And, uh, and, but it's good to see you. I'm so glad that you're here today. We're, we're happy that you've uh, come to worship the Lord this morning and, and uh, allow God to touch your life in some good, powerful, positive ways. So happy that you're here. If you happen to be a guest with us this morning, we welcome you in particular and, and invite you to take one of the connection cards. It's uh, probably right in front of you, in fact and uh, put your name on it, and we're gonna send you a note this week, and then take that card. Uh, this is very important, take that card right out to the information desk, because we've got a gift for you. And uh, to express our appreciation for you being a part of this service. I'm gonna read from the Bible, the Word of God, and I invite you to stand as we read this word, and then we're going to have a word of prayer. I'm reading from the book of Hebrews, powerful book. Hebrews chapter 12, just two verses this morning. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the position of our Savior this morning, at the right hand of the throne of God. And God is among us today in a special way. Father, we thank you so much. We're blessed to be able to come into the house of the Lord today and to be able to worship you, to, to, to discover your presence in fresh and meaningful ways. Father, I pray this morning, I earnestly pray in the name of Jesus that you'll open up our hearts and our minds, open our spirit unto you this morning. Father, I believe that in the name of the Lord, you desire to deposit a, a word of faith, a word of grace, a word of your mercy into our lives. Father, I pray that we would, we would happily receive and then employ the things that you have given to us. So we thank you, Father. We're glad to be in your house. We're glad for every person that's here. And, and we ask you to bless them in, in uniquely wonderful ways. Father, I pray that uh, for those that are away from church this weekend and perhaps uh, in travels or whatever they might be, I pray that you'll guard and watch over their hearts uh, in this day and, and on this weekend. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning once again. We look forward to the ministry that God is going to accomplish today. I believe it's going to be a wonderful day for God's touch upon people's lives and what he has for us. And so we're looking forward to that. I uh, want you to turn in your Bibles this morning into your New Testament to uh, once again to the book of Colossians. Chapter 4, we did not necessarily make it through this entire book, and so I've been uh, kind of bouncing around just a little bit. But Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse, uh, verse number 1. I want to read this text through verse 6 from Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. 
It begins this way, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Thought just raced through my mind as I was reading this text. On that final verse there, let your speech always be with grace. I, I, I just feel like maybe after this service, I may just go ahead and make a Facebook post and uh, quote that from Paul. I think there needs to be a little grace uh, in some of these posts. This has nothing to do with the, the message today, but believe me, friends, there is, uh, you know, I heard somebody, uh, heard somebody speak this way and said, if somebody who was living in 1950 but has been gone for all of these years would come back in 2018, what would be the largest, uh, what would be the largest, the most uh, striking change? And uh, the guy uh, saying this held up his iPhone and said, uh, this is an instrument in which you can access literally all of the knowledge of the world. And you can also watch and look at pictures of kitties and puppies and speak to people that you constantly disagree with. And so I thought, well, that's, fair. that's a fair description of what goes on sometimes there. Paul's talking about living a life that makes a difference. I think that's a great title, mainly because I feel like the older I get, the more I feel the necessity to live each day in such a way that it would make a difference. I realize in younger days we, we live for, I think we probably live for that also, but I think we also live for many other things that we seem to pile on top of that. But I think the lives of significance, the lives of the opportunity that we have to make a difference in our culture, in our lives, in our families, and the people that surround us and the people that we simply interact with on a, on a daily basis, people that we know, people that we don't know and never met, making a difference, making a difference because we ourselves are different. We have been transformed by Christ and the mighty power of the Holy Spirit that has literally taken, taken our life and, and worked a work of transformation in us. And that becomes an expression out of us. I, I think it's interesting here, Paul, he's, Paul says, I'm in chains, I'm in a Roman prison cell and I'm writing this to you people. He says, but I want, to, I want my life to mean something. I want my life, even though I'm, I'm chained up to, this, uh, to the wall and I'm chained in a miserable prison, he says, I want my life to make a difference, even in that terrible environment. Take a moment, would you, and think with me and 
think in your own situation, that first encounter that you had with Jesus Christ. Maybe that encounter was in your home or maybe it was with uh, a, a group of friends or may have been right here in this church. I know there's been a lot of that here in this church. But wherever the location, whatever the, whatever the situation, I'd like you to consider that and savor that moment once again. I pray that that moment is still fresh in your mind. I pray that it is something that has not escaped in the busyness and the, and the, uh, and the uh, 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 clutter sometimes that, that rolls into our lives. I hope that's as fresh today as it was on the moment and the time that it happened to you. Recall the purity of that moment. Recall the passion of that moment in which you realize that God has done something incredible in your life, something amazing. Obviously, and you've heard me speak of this, for me it was a snowy February night that I understood that I was lost and that I desperately needed a redeemer in my life. And from that moment on, my heart belonged to Jesus. It was the most, and I'm going to tell you this right up, it was the most dramatic, life-changing thing that has ever happened in my life. And I've had a lot of other experiences in my life, as, as all of us have here in this room. But that by far, by far, was the most dramatic, dynamic, incredible moment of my life, and I've never forgotten it. I believe there's a direct correlation between the accuracy of our memory sometime and the effectiveness of our mission. The reason I desire to help people to get saved and I'm willing to share the gospel is because I remember what it's like to be lost. I remember the terribleness of lostness. I remember the the, the life that I lived, I, I lived thinking I'm a good person, I'm decent, and all of these other things. And yet I was desperately lost. And I needed a, a savior. I want to tell people of forgiveness so they can have forgiveness also and knowing Christ. In chapter 4, verse 3, the Bible says, while praying for us, that God would open a door to speak the mystery of Christ this is the mystery. This is, a, Paul talks about it, not only here, but he talks about it in a time or two in other places. The mystery, think of it, think of it just for a minute. Think of it, you can, you can walk into this place and there may be somebody in here to, uh, this morning that you've come, you, you're here, as a, maybe you're a guest here today. And you come into this place, you've been living your life just the way you want to live it and all that stuff. But the mystery of Christ is the ability of God while you sit in this room just sort of paying attention, singing the songs, shaking somebody's hand, all of a sudden something begins to happen in your life. Something so powerful, something that is, that is God-sized begins to stir inside your heart. And the next thing you know, you, there's, a, there's, a, there's an intensity, there's a, there's a tension. And God is presenting himself to you in a, a way that you've never understood in your life. 
And God is giving you an invitation. This is the mystery of Christ. The mystery of that, how that happens. We can talk about how that happens. And that's not all that hard to do. But there is a mystery connected with this. That even the best theologians cannot necessarily divide that out. And carve into it and say, I have discovered what it's all about. We can talk about it. Paul says, I speak of the mystery of Christ. Our words say so much about us, don't they? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12. He said, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And oh boy, there's a, there's a passage of scripture that if we would uh, put that on the mirror in the morning and say, I need, to, I need to really pay attention to this, all of us would have to say, oh my goodness, I need some help on this one. Because out of the mouth, the mysteries of the heart unfold. The unredeemed mouth is characterized by evil, and that's a, that can be a very long list. And in contrast, redeemed speech is characterized by confession of sin and gracious talk about God. I love the music, and I, and I picked this music out this morning specifically with some of these things in mind. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. You name me something that's more than Jesus. And I'm going to take a look at you and say, are you really, are you really with God? He's more than life to me. The second song, Cleanse Me. Cleanse Me, the four, I think it's the fourth verse probably. Oh, Holy Spirit, revival comes from me. God, create a revival. Let that revival begin in me. It's not something God is going to just come and just say, boom, there it is. The hunger and the desire begins within us. And that, and that desire is not going to be satisfied until we see what God is going to be doing in all of our lives. You give life to the things that you say. I give life to things that we say. If we begin to pray with somebody and say, we're asking God to bring healing and hope into our lives, we have just given life to that very thing. James talks a lot about this. James talks about the tongue and, and how, uh, how, this, how our tongue can get us into trouble, how our tongue can be a blessing and all of these things. And he talks about it in the means of a small rudder that can uh, steer a mighty ship. And he talks about it in those terms, terms that we, I think we can easily understand. In chapter 4 and verse 2, we're kind of walking backward here just a little bit. Continue earnestly in prayer. I think one of the things that's sometimes overlooked in prayer is persistence. It's continuing, continuing earnestly in prayer expresses the need to be steadfast. It means don't give up on this. Listen, sometimes we hear the nonsense out there, pray for this. You don't need to pray for it again. If you pray for it again, it means you didn't have any faith. That's craziness. That's not in the Bible. God, God isn't going to agree with that one. Jesus, Jesus talks about the unjust judge and this woman who continued to persist at his door, wanting justice for something in her, in her life and her experience. And he says, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this thing because I want to get rid of that woman. She keeps bothering me. 
all of the time with her persistence. The seed of that parable right there, that story of Jesus, is the persistence of that widow and all of these things. Jesus said that we're to keep asking, we're to keep seeking, we're to keep knocking. It's not just, okay, God didn't do anything, I guess I quit. No, keep asking. It's a continuous, a courageous continuation of asking God for what you need. I came across a story, it's told of Martin Luther in 1540, when his friend and an assistant with him, a guy by the name of Frederick uh, Myconius, became sick and was expected to die. And as he lay in bed, he wrote a very kind farewell note to Luther. Luther made this reply to him, and I think it's kind of interesting. You really got to pay attention to the last words on this thing. He says, I commend you in the name of God. He says, I, I commend you in the name of God to live because I have need of you in the work of reforming the church. Then he goes on. God will never let me hear that you are dead, but will permit you to survive. For this I am praying, this is my will, and may my will be done. That's a little different than we normally do it, because I seek only to glorify God. Well, guess what? God answered the prayer. It was shocking, but the guy who recovered lived six, six more years and, in fact, outlived Luther by two months. Luther said, it's my will. I want this. <laughs> not thy will be done. Nothing going to go there. We're not going to that, that route. It's my will. I want this. That's persistence. That's the assurance of faith that, that we walk in. I think prayer sometimes involves a great struggle with God and, and that God would prove himself to the deepest concern of our hearts. I believe there's a sacred tension, if you will, between being bold and, and waiting on God's will. There is a tension there. There's no question. We resolve by tension by being persistent and yet willing to accept the answer of God when it does come. In verses 3 and 4 here, Again, I want to step back because Paul says early in verse 3, he says, I'm praying that God would open for us a door. God would open a door. And, uh, and I want to speak about that just for a moment here. Paul turns the aspect of speech here to the, to God, the, to the proclamation of the gospel, which is speech that is directed to people opening a door to the gospel. In the New Testament, this is an opportunity to share the gospel. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 8 and 9, he says, I shall remain in Ephesus until after Pentecost, for a wide door of effective service has opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. I'm going to kind of take a hiatus right here, right now, and tell you that LifeGate is facing many adversaries right now. The headwinds have never been stronger. And if you would pray this week, this is a critical week for the entire church. And uh, we, we just need the favor, pray for the favor of God.
pray for that because it's stiff. As believers in Jesus, we're to pray about open doors because it's God who opens them. God opens doors. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7, Jesus is addressing the Philadelphia church. This is a good church. Jesus addresses it, and in the very first verse that he has something to say to Philadelphia, he says this, to the one who opens and no one will shut, and to the one who shuts and nobody can open. That's who we're praying to this morning. That's who we're talking to this morning, that God would open that door, a door of opportunity, a door of ministry, and a door of hope. In verse number five, it says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. We give credibility to our witness to Christ by the things that we say and the life that we live. We give credibility. That's why it's critically important at all times for believers to live a consistent life, a godly life, and all of this and walk, this validates the message of Christ, the message of God's grace in our heart and in our life. It validates it. Paul also speaks about redeeming the time. Redeeming the time here. I believe in the context of this passage, it means that the most important opportunities that God gives us, God wants us to redeem the time. Don't waste your time. Look for these opportunities, and when these opportunities present themselves, redeem the time by engaging in what, what God is doing. It's very important for us to be reminded of this so that we can use our tongues for good, our lives for good, our witness of our, of our home for good, and let God work through that. Let God be real in that. We can gossip, we can criticize. Sometimes we don't tell the truth or we can impact lives by speaking hope, help, and tell them that their life can change. There's two extremes here. One is night, one is day. And we make the choice always on all of these things. And so I'm praying this morning, I'm simply praying that God is going to use this message to remind us what great treasure God has deposited into our life for us today, of telling others about the grace <clears throat> and the love of God. And we need constant help to be wise and courageous in doing just that. That's what God wants. That's what his word is speaking of today. And when you come to this place here of communion this morning, I pray, I earnestly pray that, uh, that you'll use these moments that you spend here and say, God, how can I be is there, a, is there a way in which I can be more effective in, in the things that I say, the, the, the life that I live, and all of these other things? Are there issues in my life that needs to be adjusted or corrected or even eliminated, as the case may be? But use these moments. They're precious moments to allow God to be a blessing in your life. Let him do that, would you? Let him do that, because it, it could be a remarkable time for us together. We're going to gather for communion at this point of the service, and, and uh, 
Uh, I'm going to ask our elders if they would come and be prepared to help us in this, in this area. I'm going to read uh, some things from the Word. We had communion last night at LifeGate, and, and so that's very fresh in my mind and my spirit right now. Um, the passage that, that I normally read here from 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11 is something that's very familiar to you, uh, which begins, for I received from the Lord on the night in which he is betrayed. We, we've said that many, many times. And I, and I want us to be very careful that we don't just simply say, um, I, I know you guys need to get in here and work, but uh, that we don't just simply say, we just say these things and they just sort of roll off our tongue. They, they kind of plow their way through our mind and all of this stuff, you know. And I, I, want, us to re, I want us to really remember this is, a, this is a powerful passage in the Word of God. But, but I want you to realize something. This, this passage is embedded. This is an embedded passage. If you begin reading in verse 17 and don't quit until 34, you'll realize that Paul was very unhappy with these people. He was teed off. And he says so. Communion in Paul's day wasn't like it is today. It was, a, it was kind of a, like a church potluck supper. And people would bring food and everything. And it, that's a real nice, I love church potluck suppers. Don't get me wrong. We love them. But the problem that was happening in the Corinthian church was, see, there was, there was a bunch of wealthy people. They'd all get together over here and they would share their food. But then there was a bunch of poor people over here that didn't have too much to bring because they were poor. But they wouldn't share their food with these poor people. And in fact, if you read this out of the message, Paul says, you sit over here and you eat like pigs. That's a little blunt. And they just ate and ate and ate. And then they drank and drank and drank and they got drunk. And Paul just scolds them to no end. He said, in fact, he says, when I get there, I'm going to deal with this. Ooh. And then on the other end of our communion time, he says, we need to, we need to examine our lives. We need to clearly examine. Therefore, let a, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body. And that's a serious accusation. But let a person examine himself and then eat of the bread and receive the cup. I, I just feel like we need to put that out there every so often. I'm so thankful that we serve communion here on the very first Sunday of the month. I think it's an important reminder. I think we need it. This isn't going to save anybody. But it is an incredible reminder of the price that had to be paid for us to be redeemed by God. And so I, I keep those things in mind, those bookend things that I just shared. But right in the middle, 
here's, as I said before, here's the diamond that was dropped in the middle of the muddy road. For I received from the Lord, at which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. <clears throat> in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do so in remembrance and proclamation of the Lord's return. Hallelujah. That's what we're going to do up here today. And I just, I, it's our custom here at Faith to come to these altars and kneel and be served by our elders. If there's a reason that you're not able to come here and there may be whatever, you may be a guest here today and say, oh man, I didn't know they were going to do that. We'll be happy to serve you right where you're at. Let one of the ushers know that and one of our elders will go and come and serve you. They'll help you. They'll be a blessing to you. But we want to bless this time and I want us to pray together. Would you do that with me? Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time of communion, sometimes called the table of the Lord. Father, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of visuals connected with this moment. That unforgettable visual of Jesus in that upper room with his disciples, breaking a loaf of bread and handing it to them and saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Then he took the cup and he also distributed that to the disciples and asked them to take a drink from it, reminding them, this is the blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. And so this morning in 2018, September 2nd, we do this in remembrance of Jesus as we look forward to his coming again. So Father, I pray this morning that you'll bless every person. Bless each person with a, just a personal touch from you. Let that touch be a, a touch of encouragement, of healing, of hope, of transformation. Father, I thank you this morning in the name of Jesus that you care so much for us. More than any human pastor could, but you are the shepherd of the flock of God. And we know that you love us. And so, Father, I thank you this morning. Let this be a time of blessing and encouragement and strength. Let the body of Christ come together. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. So let's lift our hands for the blessing of God. Father, may the Lord bless and keep every person in this room and their families their extended families. Father, cause your face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. Father, may you lift up your countenance upon us and extend to us your blessing and your favor as we live and walk for you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.